And uh, I really appreciate what we do here at this church. And those um, uh, things that you do here that no one sees. There's people here at work. They don't get any credit a lot of times, but they don't want it. I'm going to tell you a joke, okay? How do you make holy water? You boil the hell out of it. How about this one? Will a glass coffin be a success? Remains to be seen. Arguing with my wife, Missy, is a lot like trying to uh, read the terms of the use of the Internet. In, in the end, I just give up and say I agree. You know on the bottom? That's, I just agree. Why did God create Adam first and Eve second? Why did God create Adam first and Eve second? Because he wasn't interested in listening to her telling him how to make Adam. Come on. Come on. You know, I want to die peacefully in my sleep like my grandfather did. Not screaming in terror like the passengers in his car. (laughs) Two men met on opposite sides of a river. One shouts to the other, Hey, I need you to help me to get to the other side. The other guy replies, You're on the other side, dummy. (laughs) Well, okay. You know, we all got to fill in once in a while. And... uh, you know, this year, we've had a lot of good trips with a lot of good people. Pastor and his wife and Cookie and Barry and Rick and Pam. And, oh, yeah, Missy, too. <laughs> but we, we learned a lot about each other and stuff, and I'm quietly surprised. After you know all this stuff about me, why you even asked me to come up here? I'm just kidding. Uh, all the th- salvations that happened here this year. You know, this year is just about over. The church helping at the food bank, all the people that work there, thank you. Uh, meeting the needs of those hurting. And uh, we've had uh, some passing in our church, and y'all pitched in and helped out. Um, you know, Francis really appreciated that, your love. And this church is good at that. All the guest speakers that we've had this year have really been good. We've enjoyed them all. All those who serve here, and they're not mentioned at all. I just said that. But thank you from all of us. If you haven't been thanked, consider yourself thanked. Uh, I love you all, and if I've offended anyone of, with my boldness and outgoing personality, well, like my friend Mitchell says, suck it up, buttercup. Well, Christmas is about here, and just a few weeks left. I think this coming year will be a mighty move of God in this church. Uh, I think we're going to come alive and do more than ever. And uh, for one reason, I feel this inside of me that he's preparing us for his coming. He's coming back. And, you know, I love Christmas. A time of joy, 
shopping, family gatherings, excitement and fun and laughter. The stories that we tell each other. Seeing friends we haven't seen for a long time. You like that? Lights and displays, the watching the kids with excitement open up their presents. This is just the wonder of Christmas. Old folks exchanging gifts and love expressed to each other when they don't normally do that. But this time of year, this joy is all around the world. Christ our Savior is born. Each, even people who aren't Christians enjoy Christmas. I know a lot of people who don't go to church and they're lost, but they'll have Christmas stuff up. That's amazing to me. I, too, enjoy these same things as other Christians do. Being born and raised Catholic, we went to Midnight Mass. And we got to open up our presents after we got back. So guess what we were thinking about the whole time we were in church? (laughs) You know, opening presents, mostly what we got, we were a big family, so didn't have a lot, so... If we got a new flannel shirt or some socks or whatever like that, we were pretty happy. Uh, But that's a far cry from what's happening now, isn't it? But we were happy, and we enjoyed Christmas. Most of our thoughts about Christmas was the gifts we would receive, not so much about Jesus. And, of course, I now, in my life, focus on the greater gift of love our Heavenly Father has given us, Jesus Christ, our Savior. My most rewarding Christmas, believe it or not, there were two. Uh, one of them was, the, before my mother died, we were, the whole family was there at their house. The whole family, Christmas Eve. Which was amazing to get everybody together when you got 60, 70 people. The whole family. That was pretty amazing, and I'll never forget that. We loved each other, had a good time, and we're pretty close. And the other Christmas was on foreign soil. Missy and I and Amanda, we went to Nicaragua on Christmas, Christmas Day. We were in a school there, and uh, there were some children there. One of the things they do, a lot of the kids, uh, we washed their feet. They brought out a tub of water, and we'd get a towel put it around, and we'd wash their feet, put clean socks on, and shoes. And we were doing a lot of that. And I remember this one little girl come sat on my lap as I was kneeling down, and I washed her feet, and boy, they stink. Let me tell you, that water, that ground in Nicaragua is black. It's, and their feet, that's all they do. They run around barefoot. But I didn't think about that so much. I was just watching her face as I do it and clean her up and got her socks on and her shoes. And she jumped out of my lap and ran about 20 yards out there and she stomped around. And she come running back to me and she threw her arms around me and kissed me on my cheek and said, thank you. And to me, that's Christmas. I enjoyed that. And not all the other ones were bad either. But I just wanted to share that with you a little bit about Christmas. That ain't what I'm talking about tonight. I want to talk to you tonight about the Father's love for us. From the very beginning, God planned out into creation everything, and nothing was by chance. He knew everything that was going to happen. 
Even the fall of man and how God would rescue all those who come in faith to receive grace and be saved. Now, I want you to go, if you have your Bibles with you, turn to Revelations. Now, this particular thing I'm going to tell you about, there's a few in my class that have heard me talk about this a little bit. But most of you, and I've been teaching and reading the Bible for a long time, and I've never seen this before. So I'm going to share with you tonight. And the reason that I found this was because some dear friend of mine uh, bought and paid for a uh, Passion Bible for me. And as I was reading through, I was reading through the footnotes, and I was reading through there, and I found a scripture that really set me off. I couldn't understand it, and I like to try to figure things out. So, this says this in Revelations 4, and I'm going, this isn't the scripture, it's going to lead up to it. Revelations 5, 1, I saw the right hand of him who was seated in the throne, uh, a scroll written on the side and on the back, closed and sealed with seven seals. Now, the one that's handing it is God the Father. He holds the scroll. And I saw another strong angel announcing out with a loud voice, Who is worthy, having the authority and virtue, to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and in Hades, the realm of the dead, was able to open the scroll and to look at it. This is John giving the account. And I began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and to look at it. Then one of the 24 elders said to me, Stop weeping. Look closely. The lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome and conquered. He can open the scrolls and break the seven seals. And there between the throne, the four living creatures, and among the elders I saw a lamb. Christ standing, bearing scars and wounds as though he had been slain with seven horns in complete power and with the seven eyes, complete knowledge, and with the seven spirit, God who had given, had been sent on duty into all the earth. Now, the one thing I want you to see here in this is that before time began, God, Jesus was slain. Before time began, he already knew. But the, and he hadn't had a body yet, but Dick could see the wounds because he already committed to it. When the Father gave him the scroll, he accepted. Now, if you look at uh, uh, verse 9, and, and worthy and deserving are you to take the scroll and to break its seals, for you were slain, sacrificed with your blood. You purchase people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them a kingdom, a royal subject, and priest to our God, and they will reign on the earth. Now, if you have your Bibles with you, turn to, and this is also referred to in Revelations 13.8, before the foundations of the world, he was slain. Hebrews 12.2. Hebrews 12.2. Let me get to that. Hebrews 12.2 says, We look away from the natural realm, and we fast our gaze upon Jesus, who birthed faith within us, and who leads us 
forward into faith perfection. His example is this. Because his heart was focused on the joy knowing that you would be his. He focused on that. He focused not on the pain and the suffering he had to go through, but he focused on you and me. That one day we would belong to him. He endured the agony of the cross and conquered its humiliation. And now sits exalted at the right hand of the throne of God. Now that's amazing, really, when you think about it. Isaiah, now if you've got your Bibles with you, turn to uh, Isaiah 52. Now this is an amazing part of an Old Testament prophecy about Jesus. And the amazing thing is, everything in here in, this, in, in, in uh, 53, it, it, you can just see it portrayed when Jesus was alive. It ca- all came true. And if I want to start in uh, uh, 52.13, and it says, Indeed, my servant, this is God talking, Indeed, my servant, the Messiah, will act wisely and proper. He will be raised and lifted up, greatly exalted, just as many were astonished and appalled at you, my people. So his appearance was marred more than any man, and his form marred more than any sons of men. So he sprinkled, his na- he sprinkled many nations with his blood, providing salvation. And 53.2, For he, the servant of God, grew up before him like a tender shoot, a plant, and like a root out of the dry ground. He had no stately form of majestic splendor that, he would, that people would look at him, nor was he handsome in appearance and would be attracted to him. He was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and pain, acquainted with grief. I'm going to skip here to go to five. It says, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed. Now, remember this word crushed. And I have a definition for you. Crushed means to deform, pulverize. You know what that means? It's pulverized or forced inwards by compressing forcing. He was crushed for our wickedness, our sin and our injustice our wrongdoing. And uh, 10. And the Lord was willing to crush him. Who crushed him? The Lord. God the Father crushed him. It wasn't the devil. It wasn't the people there. The Lord was willing to crush him, causing him to suffer. If he would give himself as a guilt offering and atonement for sin, and it goes on to say that. Okay, so you can see how Jesus Christ, even in the Old Testament, is plainly displayed. Now, the, what I saw when I was reading this in, in the, in the, in the uh, Bible that Alan gave me, <laughs> the Passion Bible, is Hebrews 5.7. If you want to go there, that's where I'm going to start explaining a few things. But this is just background scripture. Hebrews 5, 7. Here's what I read and it puzzled me. 
During Christ's days on earth, he pleaded with God. The word pleaded means to make it an emotional appeal. To plead with someone to try to convince them to see it your way. So during Christ's days on earth, he pleaded with God. Praying with passion and with tearful agony that God would spare him from death. And because of his perfect devotion, his prayer was answered and he was delivered. Do you see where I had a problem? Why would Jesus pray to spare him from the death and he knew what his mission was? Why? I'm going to answer that for you in just a little bit. I want you to think about it. Why would Jesus ask the Father to spare him from death? He knew and he predicted his own death and resurrection. He told his disciples many times. So that puzzled me. So now we're going to go to Matthew 26, 36, and you're going to see the answer. I'm going to read this out for you, then I'm going to tell you what it is. Matthew 26, 36. Then Jesus led the disciples to an altar called the Oil Press, which is Gethsemane. We were there. We saw the place. We took pictures by trees that were over 2,000 years old. They were there when Jesus was in there. It's called the Oil Press. You know what an oil press looks like? We were there and saw them too. They're great big stone rock hollowed out with a wheel in the middle. And they put olives in there, and they either used a donkey or human beings or slaves or whatever, and they rotated the thing. You've probably seen that. And it crushed the olives. It crushed them. And why? Because they wanted the pulp out of there. They went to oil. So they had a little trough where the oil would drain off. So this is this place where Jesus went was called the oil press. He told them, sit here while I go and pray over there. He took Peter, Jacob, and John with him. However, an intense feeling of great sorrow plunged his soul into a deep sorrow and agony. And he said to them, the the ones he took with him, my heart is overwhelmed and crushed with grief. Remember the definition of crushed. It feels though I'm going to die. Stay here and keep watch with me. Now, I just said Gethsemane means the oil press. It's ironic that Jesus was in a place called the press where he was going to get crushed in the olive garden. There was located on the lower slopes of the Mount of Olives near the brook of Kidron. King David left Jerusalem weeping as he crossed the Kindron Valley and went up to the Mount of Olives. You know why David was crossing the Kidron Valley and weeping and his whole, everyone was there crossing there? It's because his son Absalom tried to kill him and he had to flee. He was fleeing Jerusalem into the wilderness and they were weeping because they had to leave. They couldn't understand what was happening. And now the son of David comes into that valley with great sorrow on the way to Jerusalem to be crucified. 
Kidron comes from the Hebrew verb kwaidar, which means to grow dark or to mourn. We saw that place when we were there in Israel last year. We went to a place where Jesus looked over the city and said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, if you'd only recognized the time of your visitation, I would have gathered you like a mother chicken would gather her little chicks. But you would not. And he wept there. This Kidron Valley was... It was right there where we were at. We saw all this. We actually probably walked down into part of it in our trip. So I remember all those things because we were there and this book comes alive when you see it for yourself. Okay. Now, are possible to take away this cup of suffering? Jesus prayed in the garden. He said, Father, take away this cup of suffering. This cup became a metaphor for great suffering that Jesus had to drink that night in the garden. However, Jesus was not asking the Father for a way around the cross. Now, I think most people thought, and I did too, that in the garden where Jesus was sweating blood and praying, that he was struggling with his flesh to do what the Lord wanted him, what God wanted him to do. I thought that. And and probably most of you did too. But he said, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. And most of you had that impression that that's what happened there. He was willing, even though he was suffering, to do this. That he was wanting to, he, it would appear that some people think that he was trying to get away from what he had to do. But that ain't the case. Rather, he was asking God to keep him alive through the night of suffering so that he could carry his cross and take away our sins. He suffered so bad in the garden. He sweated great drops of blood. Can you imagine? I, I looked that up a little bit, and it does happen to people when they get so stressed and so, so full of anxiety that the, the small veins in your skin break and they come out with a sweat that don't happen very often but can you imagine I don't think we've ever been through that much agony where we sweated blood but this is our savior he was there not trying to get away from the cross he was praying that God would sustain him through this suffering and in this moment in the garden is where he took on the sins of the world. The reason he was sweating this blood and the way he was feeling was because the Father put all the sins on him there. According to the prophecies of the Old Testament, Jesus would have to be pierced on the cross. He had to complete everything that was written about him to the letter. And if he would have died in the garden, he wouldn't have completed his mission. We learn from Hebrews 5-7, which I just read, that Jesus' prayer was answered that night as the cup was indeed taken from him, the cup of death in the garden. of An angel came to strengthen him and deliver him from a premature death. Think of that. In so much agony that he sweated blood, he said, help me live long enough to get to the cross. 
You talk about love and the Father's love. Now, death would he experienced the next day on the cross. He had already sweated drops of blood. But the prophecy had to be fulfilled of being pierced on the cross for our transgressions. God answered his cry, and he lived through the agony of Gethsemane so he could be the sacrifice for sin on Calvary. Jesus did not waver in the garden. We have a brave Savior, don't we? Now, it's kind of ironic that it was in the garden where man lost contact with God, the Garden of Eden. And now Jesus wanted back in the Garden of Gethsemane. He wanted us back. Over sin by taking the sins himself, crushed by the weight of sin. Let's read some more in Matthew. Matthew 39 to 42. Matthew 39. Yet, yet what I want is not important, for I only desire to fill your plan for me. Then an angel from heaven appeared to strengthen him. Later he came back to the three disciples and found them all sound asleep. He awakened Peter and said to him, Do you lack strength to stay awake with me even just for an hour? Keep alert and pray that you will be spared from this time of testing. You should have learned by now that your spirit is eager enough, but your humanity is weak. Then they left him for a second time to pray in solitude. He said to God, My Father, if there is not a way that you can deliver me from this suffering, then your will must be done. I know this is Christmas time and I don't want to be heavy. But when I think of Christmas, I think about the whole thing. I just don't think about his birth, which is glorious and wonderful. But I think about his purpose. He was here to save us. He was on a mission. Many times he prayed, I'm sure, alone. And he prayed that God would spare him from death. Why? Because when he was born, they tried to kill him. Herod had all the babies killed that were around his age. Then there was a time when he was in ministry. They took him to the edge of a cliff and tried to throw him off. He was constantly trying to be, people uh, were trying to kill him through the devil, of course. So he, I'm sure that when he went to pray to the Father, he said, Father, help me complete my mission. Spare me from this premature death. It wasn't just in the garden. It was also while he was ministering. People hated him. You know, the Pharisees hated him. And they would have killed him if they could have got their hands on him. And they tried. Okay, let's look at the Luke twenty-two forty-four. Let's start in 43. Jesus called for an angel of glory to strengthen him. And the angel appeared. He prayed even more passionately, like one being sacrificed until he was in such intense agony of spirit that he sweated, his sweat became drops of blood dripping onto the ground. This is a God who loves you and me. He would do this. You know what we deserve? I don't even, you don't even have to answer me. 
I know what I deserve. I'm glad God doesn't give me what I deserve. He freely gave me what I don't deserve. I mean, just think. The kingdom of God. He's given us all these things. And look what he went through. You want to see love? This is pure love. You know, we love each other, but we're flawed. We don't have the kind of love here that he's showing. We, we love each other, of course, but we, we don't have this kind of commitment that God does. For he loved us when we were dead in our sins. And he commanded his love to us. Like Andrew says, you weren't so lovely and beautiful that he loved you. Huh? He had to command his love. Love is a choice. He chose to command his love on each and every one of us. What a mighty God. What love. What love. And if you don't get anything from this Christmas time while you're out doing your stuff and your families and doing everything, just remember the love of God and try to be in your families, the light, and wherever you go, because they're looking for that. Not the routine of, well, 12 months from now, we better start shopping. You know, I mean, people get in this rut, and they tend to forget the whole reason for the season. God's love for us is pure. God is pure love, for God is love. He can't change. That's the way He is. Aren't you satisfied? Isn't that great to know that that doesn't change? No matter what you do in your life, He loves you. And that inspires me to do better. He's commanded His love when we were yet sinners. The Father loves His Son with this kind of pure love. Can you imagine one of us having to do that? For somebody you didn't know, and it's maybe somebody that hated you, to give one of your the person you love the most, so they could be saved. Just think of that. But he did. It says it pleased God to crush Jesus. It pleased him. Why? Because he saw the end result. It's amazing, isn't it? What has this sacrifice done for us? I mean, we go through a lot of things, right? What has it done for us? Number one, justification. His blood justified you and me, just as if you've never sinned. And so, because we've never sinned, this relationship that's justified, it's clean. We're with Him, and He lives in us. We're completely justified. He doesn't look at you on the outside. He looks at you on the inside. Your born-again spirit. What you look like on the inside. Your kingdom stuff. Also, what else? Freedom from sin. We're not bound to sin, are we? He's, he's eliminated. John eight thirty six. So, if the Son sets you free from sin, then become a true son unquestionably free. That's good news. I see people all the time bound to their sin and to their own hurt. They're not free. And those are the people Jesus came to save. And he uses us to do it. He said it is finished on the cross. 
And he gave us the responsibility of spreading the good news. Telling everyone we know, our family, our friends, be bold. You know what? So what if they laugh at you and make fun of you and don't want to be friends with you anymore? You're this close to seeing someone's eternal life changed. This close. Be bold enough to tell them about this love that I'm telling you about tonight. We are justified. Let's look at a few scriptures. Um, Romans 5, 9. I ain't going to keep you too long tonight. I just wanted to share that with you. Romans 5, 9. And it says this, And there is still much more to say of this unfailing love for us. (laughs) For through the blood of Jesus Christ... We have heard the powerful declaration. You are now righteous in my sight. Mm. And because of the sacrifice of Jesus, you will never experience the wrath of God. Never. Your salvation is secure because of the blood that you've applied to your life. You've given your life to him. And it changed inside. And you're changing every day. And now we need the boldness to go out and keep spreading the good news. We are saved by grace through faith, not of works. Good news. You can enter into his kingdom. Eternal life. He's given us eternal life. There's so many people burning in hell right now when they were this close. Maybe a neighbor came by and went, ah, maybe, maybe. I was going to tell them about Jesus, but, uh, you know, and their eternal destiny rested in your hands. I regret that many times I know I should have told someone. I don't miss too many opportunities anymore. Hebrews 9.15. So Jesus is the one who has enacted a new covenant with a new relationship with God. So that those who accept the invitation, there it is, will receive internal inheritance he has promised to his heirs. For he died to release us from the guilt of the violations and the violations committed under the first covenant. Hmm. So with God, so those who accept the invitation, we have to invite people. You know, one of the first things I ever had guts enough to stand in front of a crowd to preach was, I'll make you a fisher of men. That was my first time I did this in a little old church. And I was shaking in my boots, but I did it anyway. I'll never forget it. Because God told me we need to be fishers of men. I love to fish. But boy, it's so much better. It's so much better to, to help someone find eternal life. Now also, what have we gotten out of this sacrifice he made? The kingdom of God for eternity. Colossians 1.
Colossians 1, 13 and 14. He has rescued us completely from the tyrannical rule of darkness and has translated us into his kingdom realm. You're there now. Of his beloved son. For in the son, all the sins are canceled and we have the release of redemption through his very blood. And there's another one I want to read to you. It's uh, verse 22, 23. I'm going to read the whole thing. Verse 22. Even though you were once distant from him, living in the shadows of your evil thoughts and actions, he reconnected you back to himself. He released his supernatural peace through the sacrifice of his own body. As a sin payment on your behalf so that you would dwell in his presence. You see this love he has for us? Oh, man. I I could never go back to where I was. I I thank God he's delivered me. And every day I'm growing a little more. I'm learning a little more. And spending more time with him. And I'll tell you what, it's well worth it. And now there is nothing between you and Father God. You can boldly come to his throne of grace in time of need. Boldly. You have a right. You're a child of God. For he sees you as holy. He sees you as faultless and restored. If you indeed, uh, you continue to advance in faith, assured of a firm foundation to grow upon, neither be shaken from the hope of the gospel which you have believed in. And this is the glorious news I preach all over the world. That's the gospel. That's the gospel we need. It's simple. It's simple. But we need to be active. This year, I'm believing that we're going to have testimony after testimony of you guys going out and witnessing and seeing this. I'm I'm believing that because we're in the end times. God is preparing his church. He's coming back after a glorious church, a one that's hitting on all cylinders. The one is full of the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues, casting out devils, laying hands on the sick. This is what's coming. You can either get on board or go find another church that ain't doing anything. Because we're moving forward. We're believing God for a mighty move of the Spirit this year. And it comes with you too. Let it stir in you. We have to stir up the gifts within us. The gifts that God's given us are laying dormant and we don't use them. I will use everything that he's given you. We need to use it. You, listen, in, in, in uh, Proverbs it says, a wise person wins souls. Are you wise? You want to be wise? Go win your neighbors. Go win your people down the street. Someone you sit in the doctor's office with. Show them love and compassion. They'll tell you their life story sitting right next to you. Oh, I got this problem. I got that. Well, you know, they'll develop. And boy, it ain't long. You're leading them to the Lord. People are hungry. That's why people use drugs and alcohol and and they're being promiscuous because they're empty inside. But once Jesus fills you with his power and the Holy Spirit, you can't help yourself to have joy. You can't help yourself to want to share it. 
Don't hold it back. Don't be afraid. This life is short. I've used up most of my runway, and I want to use what's left. Huh? I've had a lot of a lot of Christmases. But whatever's left, I want to use it for God. And you can start any time. You can jump in and get with it. Okay? So I see it's 8 o'clock already. So... <laughs> Well, I wanted to share that scripture with you about what I was puzzled with because I can't imagine Jesus wanting to duck out of what he was created for. And that seemed to contradict what I believed. And I even believed, too, that in the garden he, he was struggling with his flesh. How many, y'all, how, really, how many of you thought that? But now do you see it differently? Because this makes me love him even more. And I didn't think I could. That he was willing to crawl to the cross to fulfill scripture. He had to be strengthened. He, was, he, he even admitted it. He says, I feel like I'm going to die in the garden. That's how powerful this load of sin that he was receiving from the Father, crushed him like, a, like an olive. Crushed him. He was so crushed, he bled drops of blood. And I just look at that. In my mind, I see him there. And he's doing it for me and you. I can't help but be moved and love him more and want to do more. Because let's face it, one day... We're going to see him face to face. And it may be sooner than you think. Huh? We have no guarantees with this life. It can be over just like that. And you have your own personal rapture. But I'm telling you and I'm exhorting you to be the church. If you've got gifts and talents, use them. Don't let them get rusty. Stir them up like Timothy said. Paul told Timothy, stir up the gifts. You have them in you. There's things to do. There's people to talk to. There's ministries that haven't even been birthed yet. There's things to do here. And I'm so proud of all of you, too, for what you do here. I really am. I, I see it all the time. People doing things. They don't get recognized for it. But I know who does recognize them. So with that, I think I'll pray for you guys real quick. And... Uh, because all this flu stuff, whatever's going around, we're going to put a stop to it. You know, Jesus has already done it all. We receive by faith what He has already done. He's already healed you. He's already, no plague shall come nigh your dwelling place. Confess that in Jesus' name. No plague will come nigh my dwelling place. Believe it. We're under attack all the time. You have a healthy body that's being under attack. You don't have a sick body trying to get well. Your body's under attack. So we have to pray. And we have to believe God and stand on His Word. By His wounds we are healed. I receive healing. You don't have to beg God. You're a child. Ask and it will be given to you. Pray over your kids. 
when they go to school. Pray, because it's all around us. And you can walk with this confidence, my God is protecting me. My God is taking care of me. And keep praying, because doctors don't have the answers. Doctors don't have all the answers. But Jesus does, the great physician. So, be bold with the Scripture. Stand on the Word. Don't let it escape you. Even if you feel the symptoms, come on, start praying. So, Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you that you're putting a wall of protection around your people. You are protecting them from all the sickness and the evil that's around us. As we go visit families and go see things and do things during this holidays. Lord, I thank you that it's going to be full of joy and peace. No arguments. There will be no sickness. That we declare God's word over everything we do. And I thank you for it. I thank that right now we receive that in Jesus' name. Amen.